Hi everyone, this is Brant Van Rokel, lead pastor of Christ City Kitsilano, and I want to let you know about a couple of things. First, if you're not a part of a local church, let me invite you to join us at Fifth Avenue Cinema on Burrard Street at 9.30 a.m. We meet every Sunday morning for worship, word, and sacrament, and we'd love for you to join us there. Second, if you are new and you want to get connected, let me say welcome. Christ City Church Kitsilano is a neighborhood church committed to making missional disciples for the sake of the neighborhood. If you want to hear more about what God has called us to here in Kitsilano, then please reach out to me at brant at christcitychurch.ca or you can visit christcitychurch.ca slash Kitsilano. Today's reading is from Luke eight twenty six to 39. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, they met him a man, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them, how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. And as you're seated, uh, let me pray for you and for me as we come now to the word of God. Now, Father, we come to you and we ask that you would remove from us any distractions that we have uh, around us this morning. God, that you would cause us uh, and bless us by the power of your Holy Spirit to, to see in your word the goodness and the glory of Jesus Christ. God, we pray that you would open up our hearts, that we would uh, be ready and open to, to receive you, to receive your love for us and your kindness and your goodness shown to us in this text, that you would help us uh, just to hear and to be changed as we see Jesus. God, we ask right now uh, for your blessing in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Well, I read a book recently uh, that described the way that soldiers in World War II, when they were separated from the regiment in the, the deserts of North Africa, would sometimes survive in nearly miraculous situations. On a single canteen of water, there are several of these stories where these men would go for up to 200 or more miles traveling through the desert and somehow survive until they reached safety. They'd arrive, of course, very, very dirty, nearly unrecognizable as human beings with all of the sunburns that they had uh, all over their bodies, with their lips swollen and cracked and their tongues swollen to the point that they could hardly talk. I was struck by these images and as I was thinking about these stories, I thought, man, what a incredible image for us. Because the image, I think, of a dusty, crack-lipped, swollen-tongued desert traveler is such a good illustration or a good image for us and for our own spiritual journey as human beings through this life. It's a good image, I think, because we too, in a matter of speaking, live trekking through a hot desert of this world and we too are thirsty. We're thirsty. And our problem is that we spend most of our time, I think, in life very often trying to quench our thirst with a canteen that's too small for us. Looking to a canteen that's not big enough to quench our thirst and satisfy us in the journey of our life. This canteen, I think, takes many different forms in the life of a human being. We can try to quench our thirst at times with finding more money, more wealth, with looking for popularity of various kinds and satisfying ourselves that way with pleasure or experiences, with seeking more power, more success, more beauty, etc. Pick your poison. But the picture that I have in mind is of us in the desert with any of these canteens too small to satisfy our thirst. And whenever we try what happens is that they just leave our tongues swollen and our lips cracked. So if you're thirsty this morning, there is good news for you in the passage of Scripture that we're looking at and in our series that we are in. Because God in his goodness has come to us in the person of Jesus Christ to quench the thirst of our souls. Jesus himself said in John chapter 7, verses 37 to 38, he said, If anyone thirsts, Let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So we're in our series this morning in the goodness of Jesus for one reason and one reason alone. We're in our series because we are looking to quench our thirst, Christ City, in Jesus to quench our thirst in his goodness. What we see in our next account from Jesus' life that we're in this morning, the text that was just read, is that we aren't just in the desert because of our own misplaced desires, but that we also have an enemy conspiring against us to keep us in the desert. And even in this desert, Jesus proves his goodness to us because he comes to us no matter how distant we feel from him in our suffering. And he liberates us from our enemy and he heals us from the wounds that we've accumulated in our bondage. 
Those are our three points and the three ways we'll see Jesus' goodness, goodness this morning. The way that he comes to us, even when we feel so far distant from him, in the way that uh, he liberates us from the bondage, the spiritual bondage that we are in uh, under Satan, and that he heals us, number three, from the wounds that we've accumulated even in our bondage and in our lives. So look at verses 26 to 27 with me and our first point as we see Jesus' goodness in the way that he comes to us. I'll read the text for us. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. And when Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. All right, so last week we looked at one of the stories from Jesus' life that took place uh, in his ministry in the region of Galilee. That was on the north side of the Sea of Galilee, and that was a very Jewish area. There were tons of Jewish people who'd come to see Jesus. His popularity was growing. The paralytic came to see Jesus. But what we need to realize is that those who came to this Jewish Messiah were themselves Jewish. And even the outcasts that have previously been mentioned in the stories of the gospel up to the point of this story, they were Jewish outcasts. They were Jewish outcasts. They were still Jesus' ethnic and religious people, and very much in that point in his ministry, he was still among his own. But here in this text, a significant change happens because in verse 26, uh, we see that Jesus has now transgressed normal Jewish boundary lines. He left Jewish land behind, and he left Capernaum where he was living, and he traveled south all the way across the Lake of Galilee to bring the good news of salvation to non-Jewish people, to Gentiles. That is a very significant thing in the story of the gospel. He come to bring the good news of all of God's promises that had been made first to the Jew, to Abraham and his children. And to announce that this good promise, these good promises were now beginning to be opened to the non-Jew. To us, many of us in this room who are, who are non-Jew. I think it's the majority here, if I'm not mistaken. But the Jewish people of Jesus' day would have been offended by this traveling Messiah. You see, we don't think it's a big deal to travel between peoples and cultures. Like, we do that all the time. Vancouver is just this intermix of peoples and cultures. Probably many of you have been traveling even the last couple of weeks to different nations and different ethnic groups. And we don't think anything of that sort of travel. But in Jesus' day, it was different. And these Jewish people that Jesus was part of had a law that had been given them by God. And in that law, they had many rules about maintaining ceremonial purity. And if you became impure, what happened was that you could no longer participate in the full life of the community or in the full life of communal worship until you had gone through the necessary steps to have become pure again. And oftentimes those necessary steps to become pure again were arduous steps. It wasn't an easy thing to do. And as a result, these Jewish people were very careful, meticulous even, not to become impure. And if you don't want to become impure, you know what you should never do? You should never hang out with Gentiles. Because Gentiles don't have the law of God. And who knows what they might be doing to make themselves impure? 
They're probably eating pigs. Can you believe it? Right? They might not wash themselves properly after they've been around dead people. And you know what? They don't have God's moral law either. So they've probably sinned in various ways, running them even morally impure before God. What a significant thing. So every good Jew avoided Gentiles like a contagion of uncleanness. Let's stay away. Jesus is crossing boundaries. I was thinking of, of this uh, and I was thinking of ways to illustrate it. And, and what popped into my head was uh, a couple of weeks ago when I got an SOS call from my in-laws to pick up one of my children, well, both of my children, uh, but one of them had been staying overnight because they had become ill. And the, the warning as you left the door is, watch that one. Uh, he might explode on the way home. Be careful. And so I asked my child, hey, how do you feel? Oh, you're pretty good. Okay, we're all right. Let's just go. Just make sure you hold that bowl close. And, uh, and this child had never thrown up before, so they didn't really know what they were in for. Uh, not had, we'd not gone a kilometer from their house. When I look back in the rearview mirror and like Mount Vesuvius was erupting in the back seat and, and the poor, the poor kid, uh, trying so, so much to, to, to catch everything, but missing. And it was going all over the car. So I pulled the car over on the side of the road, and I am a bit of a hypochondriac, and I don't want to touch anything that has stomach flu on it, so I'm trying to clean up without touching anything. And cleaning up without touching anything doesn't work. Uh, I'm, I'm just afraid, paralyzed, that I will be contaminated by the contagion of this uncleanness. It was quite gross. For the next several days, I actually went through the process of ritual cleanliness, you know, washing my hands in, in all the various ways, just, just to very, very carefully make sure that I didn't get sick. And then I got sick. So, you know, there it is. But like me, trying to avoid the contagion of a stomach virus, every good Jew avoided the contagion of uncleanness from Gentiles. And I think that's what's so wonderful about the goodness of Jesus. Because again, in this story, he shows his beauty and his goodness in the contrast between who he is and who we are. Where we avoid those who we deem unclean in various ways, or in this case, who are ceremonial unclean, Jesus doesn't avoid them. And here in this story, he crosses every boundary and enters every impurity to come and to save those in their suffering and their sin that were far from him. That's kind of crazy because the person described this demoniac man, the man who was demon possessed, he lived in the height of Jewish uncleanness. You can't get more unclean than the story describes him. In a land populated with pigs, there are demons. Oh, that's the height of spiritual impurity. This is a man who lived in the tombs with the dead people. <laughs> like Jews don't go anywhere near that stuff. And actually it's interesting because so far in the story, the Pharisees who are these religious watchdogs have been hanging over Jesus' shoulder the whole time, making sure that he doesn't transgress the law. But he's so far off the grid and off the map here in uncleanness, the Pharisees aren't anywhere to be seen. They don't want to get anywhere near that stuff. We're not following Jesus to the Gentile lens. Let him go and do his thing. We'll talk to him when he gets back. So imagine then how this man must have felt. I mean, his life was clearly full of suffering. 
And who could he turn to for help? He was ostracized by his own community. And even if he'd heard about this amazing Jewish Messiah teaching and doing miracles up north, he wouldn't have dreamed that Jesus would have come to him. Jesus might as well have been on the moon. Right? That, that guy's not going to come for me. I'm too far from him. I think we feel the same very often in our relationship with Jesus, don't we? Then we can relate to the man and think, you know, in my suffering, Jesus might as well be on the moon. He won't come to me. There's times in our lives where it's just we think our suffering's too big or we think that our own human impurity is too great due to our sin or our failures. Jesus would never come to me. But Christ City, Jesus is so much better than we realize. He's so much better than we realize. And in this account, we see his goodness because he didn't just stay in the land that was comfortable and natural for him to stay in. But he left to come close to those who are impure. And in our own lives, Jesus didn't just travel across a lake to prove his love for us in our impurity. We've got to step back and think about who Jesus is for a minute. Jesus is God most high become a human being. And he left perfect holiness and love in fellowship with Father and Spirit to become a human being. To enter into this world that's full of sin and suffering and evil to save us from our suffering and from our sin. Just think about this. Jesus is God who always does what is right and just and loving. But he allowed himself to be sinned against, to be spat on as a human being, to be killed on a Roman torture device called a cross. And he did it to save you from your sin. You know, in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, we read in the word of God, Paul's words, and he said this about Jesus, thinking about impurity and him crossing boundaries. It says, Jesus, who knew no sin, he became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Bible scholars and theologians like to talk about that as a great exchange where the perfect Holy One took on humanity's sin to be judged and bear the burden and the punishment of that sin in our place so that he would give us what was his, his perfect righteousness and holiness and the goodness of all that was his as God so we could have his inheritance and his blessings. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus transgresses boundaries. <laughs> He crosses every line to come to us, to save us, to reconcile us with God through his resurrection and ascension to pour out his Holy Spirit upon us so that now we have the comforter, the Holy Spirit living within us. We're united with God. That's the promise of our salvation. With the hope that one day that life that is breathed in us by the Holy Spirit will erupt and overflow in a resurrection from the dead when Jesus returns. So we will live in a world forever free from suffering 
and pain. So, if you ever think in your weakness and your unbelief that Jesus won't come to you, if you think that you're too far from him, remember this story. Remember the cross. Remember what he's already done to come to you. And take courage. See, Jesus is good because he crosses every boundary to come to us and to save us. But second, we see in this text that he's good because he comes to liberate us from the bondage of Satan's power in Christ City. We need that liberation. Look at verses 27 to 33. Luke writes this, When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes. And he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and he fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. And then verse 29, we read why this happened this way. Luke just comments parenthetically, For Jesus had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. All right, we are in a casting out a demon text in scripture. Let's call it what it is. And I realize we are modern people. And I realize that in a congregation living in Kitsilano, that there are a lot of different views about the spiritual world. Probably spanning from those of us who functionally live, even though we have some sort of a faith in Jesus, functionally live like we're materialists. Like all that there really is, is the stuff that we can see and we can touch. And on the other side of the coin, we might have some who are maybe a bit more like our culture of Kitsilano. And we're pretty open to spiritual things uh, without any criticism. You know, spiritual stuff is just good. We'll explore it all and see what it's like. But I think we need to realize, and especially as we come to a story like this one, that neither of those perspectives is right according to the Bible. Neither a denial of the spiritual world, nor an embrace uncritically of the spiritual world. Because the Bible teaches that there is one God, and he's the creator of everything. The creator of this world, and he's populated this world and this universe, not just with physical beings like you and I, but also with spiritual beings. With angels. With fallen angels. And just like God has given us freedom to submit to him or to rebel against him, some of his spiritual beings have rebelled against him too. And that corrects our uncritical embrace of the spiritual because the Bible would teach that not all spirituality is good. And actually, some beings aren't submitted to God at all. Some are waging war against God. You know, I was talking with someone this week uh, who told me a story about a time back when they worked as a nurse. They're no longer a nurse now. And uh, she was saying, you know, Brant, um, what happened was that there was a, a person that I worked with and they believed in ghosts. They're one of these very spiritual people. And what happened was that this room on our ward had had a lot of deaths in it and some creepy things happened in that room from time to time. And so this woman said, hey, I believe in ghosts. Do you believe in ghosts? And my friend returned and said, uh, I don't believe in ghosts, but I do believe in demons. And needless to say, this person wasn't encouraged very much. 
Because ghosts are just the souls of the dead. I mean, big deal, right? They're just, you know, disembodied souls, not, not that much trouble. Demons are spiritual beings in rebellion against God's authority actively trying to destroy you. <laughs> like, it's not an encouraging picture. And actually, we need to realize this is what the Bible teaches. Because Jesus said about Satan and his demons, the captain of the rebellious spiritual beings in this world, in John 10, verse 10, he said this. He says, the thief... Who's the thief? Satan and his demons. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. He has an agenda and it's not a friendly one. Contrast that with Jesus in the rest of the verse. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. And in this story, we see that negative life-destroying agenda at work, don't we? Because this man had these terrible things happen to him. Look at what the demons did to him in verse 29. Because for many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. You see, these demons weren't neutral spiritual entities for the Gentile population to get in touch with at their whim. That's not what they were. They had powerful agendas to destroy a man's life. And when men tried to chain him up to stop all this craziness from happen, happening, the demons displayed how much greater they were in their power than the human beings that were around them. Because they broke those chains. They didn't, cha- they didn't break the chains in some act of liberation. They broke the chains to drive this man out into the desert, away from life, away from community, and into great suffering and sorrow. And this is where we see Jesus' goodness. Because Jesus shows his unparalleled goodness by demonstrating his power to liberate us from Satan and his demons. So we see in this text, he is so much stronger, Christ said he. All authority and all power belong to him. Look at verse 28. When this demon-possessed man saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. For Jesus had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. Now, to be clear, the man did not fall down before Jesus, asking him in mercy, Oh, Jesus, please heal me. That's not what happened. What happened was that Jesus saw this man, clearly demon-possessed, and said, I command you to leave. And the man, controlled by the demons, could do nothing other than fall on his face before Jesus and submit to his authority. That's what happened. See, every evil power is rendered powerless at Jesus' command. In fact, the demons even beg Jesus for mercy because they realize in that moment they can do nothing other than what Jesus commands. If you look at verses 31 to 33, it's so interesting because what do they ask Jesus to do? Verse 31, they begged him not to command them to depart the abyss. Okay, so don't command us that way, but instead command us to enter the pigs. Is that interesting? And they begged him to let him enter the pigs, so he gave them permission. See, the Bible is clear about the authority and the power of Jesus, about God and his authority and his power over all. The Bible teaches 
that there is a day of judgment coming when every being, physical or spiritual, that has rebelled against God and has refused to bow the knee to Jesus will be destroyed, will come into eternal judgment, thrown into the abyss, the abyss in the language of the demons. And even until that day, what's clear in this story is that Jesus, even now, has the unquestioned authority and power as he wages war against Satan and his demons. And Christ said, did you know something? Jesus is right now waging war against the kingdom of the enemy through his church, through you. He's filled you with the power of his Holy Spirit and his presence. So now where you go forth in his name, you are waging war on the powers of darkness. Remember Jesus' words in Matthew 16? He says, Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against her. The the gates of hell are a defensive institution, (laughs) a defensive reality. He's saying, you, the church, will wage war on Satan's stronghold and she will not be able to resist you. You will overcome Satan and his power by my power within you. So don't be afraid, Christ City. Jesus is good because he has greater power and authority. But also, but also, please, do not be ignorant because Satan wants to rob you of your life. The Apostle Peter said in 1 Peter 5, 8, says, your adversary, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He's prowling around all the time. And his lies and his deceit are at work around you right now, I promise you. And what he wants more than anything is to keep you from Jesus. He wants to enslave you to your desires. Desires for lust or greed or comfort or wealth or power or anything else to keep you drinking from a canteen that's too small that will leave your lips parched and your tongue swollen. He wants to cripple you with anxiety. He wants the cares of this world to so overwhelm you that you don't look to Jesus anymore. So I want to encourage you, look to the word of God. Look to the goodness of Jesus. Flee the lies of Satan and see how powerful and good and true Jesus is. Turn to him to drink deeply of him. Resist your enemy. Also, if you've been feeling like you've been held captive in the lies and the power of the enemy, we want to be joining you in that battle as a church. We want to pray with you after our our preached word this morning. There'll be a prayer team back in the hallway as there is every week. We want to pray for you if you just feel trapped and you want to be prayed with to walk in the freedom that is yours in Christ Jesus. If you want to talk with us about anything that's ongoing in your life, that a desire that you're, you're held on to or something that's just holding you back, we want to walk with you in that. We'd love to, to, to help counsel you and, and work with you. We have a wonderful biblical counseling ministry. We have elders who are equipped here uh, to walk with you in your own spiritual journey. So we'd love to meet with you. All right, we see in this text God's glorious goodness in the way that he comes to us and the way that he liberates us from the power of Satan, but also in the way that he heals us from the wounds of our captivity. Look at verses 34 to 37 in our final point. When the herdsmen 
saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. First, notice this. When the report comes to the city and they all see what happened, they're seized with fear and they ask Jesus to leave. That's surprising, isn't it? I think we'd expect them to to see this and to be full of rejoicing and excitement and the power and the goodness of Jesus. That's not how they responded. Why didn't they respond that way? What's going on in this passage? I think it's because Jesus' power threatened the Gentile city's way of life. See, if Jesus has all authority and all power, then they can't have those things. If he has all authority and all power, then his presence is a threat to the status quo. Life can't just keep on going on as we prefer it in the presence of Jesus Christ city. We must submit to him and go his way. Sadly, all too often when faced with Jesus' infinite power and goodness, though, we're just like the Gerasene Gentiles and we ask Jesus to go away. Because we'd rather keep the little bit that we have rather than giving it up to Jesus in exchange for his infinite goodness. You know, there's an author, his name C.S. Lewis, and he wrote and lived in the first half of the 20th century. And he taught literature at the University of Oxford. And he captured, I think, this experience really, really well when he said this. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Don't mistake. Jesus does threaten you. He threatens the status quo of your life but he threatens it with an overwhelming, abundant goodness. There's just so much better than anything you've ever laid your, heart, your hands on. So don't let the little that you have right now keep you from coming to Jesus. Because what Jesus has to give us is so much better. Even looking at the story, we see this. Because look what he gave this man. He didn't just set this man free. That would have been one thing. He also restored this man's life. You see, to be set free from great evil is only one half of the journey, isn't it? How many stories do we have of people who've been enslaved in horrific situations and they've been freed, but when they're freed, they're only a shell of their former selves. See, to be freed is only half the problem. 
It's only half the solution. You have to be restored as well. But look at the goodness of Jesus because in his love and his mercy, in this narrative, he gently restores the man in every single area that his humanity had been previously shattered by the lies and the power and the deceit of Satan. Where this man had been a slave, left in nakedness and shame in verse 27. In verse 35, Jesus gives him dignity and he clothes him. He returns humanity to him and dignity. Where this man had been ostracized and separated and isolated from community and relationship with friends and with family back in verse 27. In verse 39, once he's restored, Jesus says, go home. Going to return you to human fellowship. Going to restore you to the life that you've lost. Where Jesus, or where before this man was out of his mind, not in control, shouting at Jesus in verse 28. In verse 35, he sits at his feet and is ministered to by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the Messiah, God incarnate, Jesus Christ. Jesus is a healer. He restores what is broken. And more than that, in this story, Jesus continues his healing because he gives this man who'd been so long without work, without purpose, without meaning or significance, he gives him a vocation and he sends him on a mission. Look at verses 38 to 39. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with Jesus. But Jesus sent him away saying, return to your own home. And declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. You know, my wife, Heather, over here, uh, she used to um, work in the cardiac ICU and she'd tell me these wild stories of people who had just undergone uh, thoracic surgery. You know, sternum cut in half, split open, the whole works, you know, put it back together. And the same day often that that surgery had happened, I'm sure the patient would just want to sleep endlessly and give me as much drugs as you have uh, on hand. Heather would have to get that patient up and take them for a walk. And I bet that was the last thing in the whole world they would have wanted to do. The last thing you want to do when the wounds of your thoracic surgery haven't healed is get up and go for a walk. You want rest. But sometimes that rest isn't best for you. And I think something similar is happening in this text because the man, he rightly wants to be with Jesus. I mean, who wouldn't? Praise God. But Jesus knows the end of the story. He knows that in just a little while, this man's going to have the Holy Spirit of God poured out on him once Jesus is resurrected. The presence of God will be with him forever. He knows that he'll have the hope of eternal life and resurrection with Jesus in a new world that's free from sin and suffering. But he also knows that this man needs to continue his healing with a vocation and a mission. He needs purpose. And Jesus gifts him this precious gift of joining with Jesus Christ himself and his mission to declare God's goodness and God's glory in this world. He says, go, return to your home and declare all that God has done for you. To Christ City, Jesus is far better than we realize and that he rescues us and heals us in our lives today. 
And we look forward to the fullness of our healing when he will be, when we will be raised with him from death and with him forever, just like this man could look forward to it. But like this man, part of our healing today comes right now from joining in the work that Jesus has given us to do. Have you thought about that? So much of the healing that Jesus has for you is to join him in the mission that he's given to you. And what is that mission? To declare all that Jesus has done for you. You know, if you're not actively part of that mission, I want to give you a couple of concrete ways you can be part of that mission. You can surf here at the church. We have all kinds of ministries that we're doing. We have tons of stuff that needs to be done on Sunday mornings just to help the mission of this church that exists in this neighborhood to make missional disciples for the sake of our neighborhood. That's our mission statement. You can join us in our mission in making Jesus known by serving here. You can join in Jesus' mission by regularly and sacrificially giving of your own resources so we can still exist as a church. The only way we keep on rolling here is if you guys give and make this happen. You can participate in this mission of Jesus by spending time praying for those in your life by name. Asking God to work in their lives in powerful ways. To save them, to heal them, to cause them to grow in Christ. You can participate in this mission by reaching out yourself to your own friends and neighbors and family to tell them all that Jesus has done for you. You know, I'm going to go out on a limb and say, I think the healthiest people you will meet in your life are people who have embraced the gift of the mission that Jesus has given to them. You know, as an aside, I I want to also encourage you. I think sometimes we're intimidated to share the gospel, to share Jesus with other people because we don't know where to start. We think that we're going to get it wrong. We want to have all the answers kind of lined up in a row before we say anything. Guys, this guy didn't have any answers. <laughs> all he knew is that Jesus was really good. That's it. He's really good and he's a savior. You should look to him. Each of you who know Jesus can share that much with your friends and family and neighbors. If you haven't thought lately about all that Jesus has done for you, let me encourage you to take a little time in prayer with a notebook and just write some things down, the ways that Jesus has changed your life, the ways that he's saved you, so you're prepared next time you encounter somebody to share the good news of who Jesus is with them. See, Christ City, Jesus is far better than any of us realize. Whether we've been walking with him for 45 years or we've just become curious about him this morning. And what he has for you is true, satisfying, thirst-quenching life. So be warned. Satan's lie that living for your wealth or success or your comfort or your pleasure or anything else other than Jesus, it's just going to leave you dead in the wilderness. Don't believe his lie. Look to Jesus. He has come to you to save you. He's come to liberate you from the power of the enemy. He's come to heal you and to send you out on a mission to declare his goodness to all around you. Would you pray with me? 
God, we come to you this morning and we ask in the name of Jesus that you would just empower us and send us out on mission for him. Lord, that the goodness of Jesus would be on the tips of our own tongues. That we would be full of courage and zeal to hold fast to him in loyalty and truthfulness. To speak about him plainly with others. Lord, we ask for your favor and that by your spirit you would churn all those around us to see the goodness of Jesus and to be saved even as we've been saved by him. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.